Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, deliberately fixed on God. Even in the problems, and especially in the problems, no matter how small or how great, God promises you a dispatch that perfect peace from heaven to the one whose mind stays on God. And the reason is not just having God as an image or thinking about Him in a generic way, but there's a faith factor involved where I trust God. When I think about God being in my life, I trust Him to solve all my problems. The next verse says, Trust in the Lord. It's a reminder, forever, or in Yah or Jehovah, Yahweh, is everlasting strength. We can lean upon Jesus. We can trust Him not only to hold us up through our problems, our questions, our Confusion is a rock that we can lean upon, but also can impart resource. We need peace. If there's one thing the world is looking for, is a feeling of calmness no matter what happens. That's security. That's the kind of security that you can't buy anywhere. It's the kind of security that no amount of friends can ever bring to you. That's the kind of security that no fulfillment of any desire in the world can bring. We need God's peace. God said, I'll give the peace. Now, let's go to Exodus 33. And we'll see how God's presence gives us this peace. God's presence will go with the one who trusts Him. In verse 14, Exodus 33, 14. This is God speaking, and he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Peace equals rest. God's presence imparts rest. It imparts peace. How do you Take God with you wherever you go. If you're on the highway on a road trip, you can have the first aid kit with you. You can have your GPS working right. You can already have your way planned out, where you're going to stop, how long you're going to spend there, the whole thing. But if God's presence does not go with us, then we have to 
in that road trip. Oh, somebody said, well, stop at the very place I, I wanted to. I've enjoyed the stay here and the sightseeing there and the friends and the family. But Moses recognized that if God's presence doesn't go with him, everything's a failure. Everything's a failure. And there's this false peace that will come. There's a false peace and a false security where a human being can keep going and going and not even recognize I didn't take God with me. It's true, God is everywhere. But there's a way in which He can take God with us. That is to lean upon God in the good times and the bad times. That's to call upon Jesus' name and say, Lord, I need you, your presence to be with me. Think about it for a moment. Don't have God's presence. Those who have actually felt God's presence, there's a big lack, there's a void. You can eat all you want, taste everything you'd like to taste. You can be in all the places you'd like to be, but there's some kind of emptiness. And you know what people do? We say, maybe I didn't get everything I wanted to the first time I went there or did this. So I'm going to go again. I'm going to try this again. But then again, the same void is there. Thank God that we have God to speak to us. Because if He doesn't let us know, we will be blind. You know what the Lord said in Matthew 11.29? Let's go there for a moment. Matthew 11.29. He talks again about this supreme peace. The Lord says, let's go back one verse actually. Come to me, all you who are doing things. Doesn't just mean a nine to five. You're working, you're doing things, you're occupied with things. But you have this heaviness. You have this void. You have this pressure. You, ha- you feel like you're stuck. You're between a rock and a hard place. You know, that can happen even when you minister. Those who evangelize, those who uh, pray for people, those who preach. We can do that just like Moses. He recognized that. Without the presence of God. But when the presence of God is there, you will know that you are actually being guided by the Spirit of God. Would you trade that for anything? There's nothing that's comparable to that. But even putting the ministry aside, in our day-to-day lives, do you know that God can show you who to talk to and when? Sometimes we take it for granted and we think, yes, I know that. I know that God is with me. But I'm not sure at the end of the day if I spoke to all the people that He wanted me to speak to. And I actually also spoke to those he didn't want me to speak to. We think, wow, could it be that specific? It really could be if we want it to be. The benefit of that is being led by God's Spirit to impart God's life to those who are really in need. 
The opposite is this, even with good intentions. We can go and try to impart life to those who don't want it, who actually are not even ready for it. So at the end of the day, we could say, Lord, I did this and that and that in your name, and I feel like I covered all the ground. But you know what? Suppose at the end of the day, this God of Moses who led the congregation of Israel by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, every step was ordained by God. The question is for us, could I take God's presence with me to school? You know, parents who are well-intentioned, they can send their child off to school. Maybe it's the first day of school. It's a special day. And so the parents really want the school year to be blessed. And so they put their heart and soul into this blessing for the child. And say, Lord Jesus, please be with this son of mine, this daughter of mine, my children, Lord. I want the whole year to be a year of prosperity, Lord. Help them to do well in school. That the purpose for which we're sending the child to school would be served. It's a good thing to do. But you know, the parent that is walking closely with the Lord would actually desire something even more. Not just an overview of God's presence, a generic kind of way, but every day, Lord, help my child to be aware of your presence. Now we think, you mean a little one? Um, a teenager maybe? A college student? Isn't that kind of reserved for people like the apostles or Moses? Can we really expect God to order our every step? The Bible says the good man or our good man's steps are ordered by the Lord. There's a sequence. So we can have that presence of God. We can say, Lord, if I want my child to have your presence every day, and I really see the possibility of that, you know what God is saying in short? Raise your standard. Raise your standard. Your expectation from God should match his promises. Amen? Otherwise, our whole outlook becomes fuzzy and generic. And even though we say, I'm a Christian, we really don't have that communion with God in the presence of God. You know, God can go with you to the store. How do you do that? Well, before you go and as you go, you can say, Father, be with me. Guide my purchases. For many Christians, unfortunately, that's a foreign concept. We think, how can I... I mean, God gave me the money and he gave me a mind to make the right decisions. But how many of us know we make the wrong decisions many times? Especially when we don't have God. We can never go wrong, actually, when God is with us. But we see the repercussions and we think, if I only knew this, I wouldn't have faltered over here. But if we're walking with God, we can get to a point where God can actually cover you and help you to do what He wants moment by moment. Somebody says, who even walks that way today? 
Who even thinks that way? Moses did it, but then Moses saw God face to face. The apostles were living with Jesus. But notice what the Lord says here. This is not only to his 12 apostles, but for all of us. Presence of God, the peace of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit, they all go together. Do you know when you're led by God, you can have peace? When you're not led by God, there's always this uncertainty. Now, it's our choice. We can say, Jesus, if I can be so close to you, that I can be guided by you, Lord, not only in my prayer life, in my Christian things that I like to do, because people, when they're around Christians and they have a meal, a lot of times they feel the urge to pray. Why? Because it seems like the right thing to do. Christians are around. But how about when nobody's around that's a Christian? Do you still have that urge to pray? If you don't, the good news is God will diagnose our spirituality as being iffy. And the reason he does that is to show us we're living a substandard Christian life. Why? Because we don't really believe everything God said. See, it comes down to faith. Moses had enough faith. He said, God, if you go with us, then I will go, because he knew, if God is with me, I will have victory. But if you don't, I'm not going anywhere. Because he knew, if God is not with me in this, I'm prone to defeat and failure. When you pick up on these things, and we say, Lord, the heaviness that I feel, the restlessness that I feel, Lord, the distance that I feel from you, Lord, you may be growing. You may be a growing Christian, where you just came to know God, or you have come back to God. Or, there's been a lull in your spiritual life where, you know what, you lost touch. If somebody were to ask you, do you know if this is God's will for you? You know, most Christians will say, unfortunately, tragically, I, I think it is. I hope it is. We should be able to say, I know it is. Not out of arrogance or false assumptions, but because we have touch with God, communion with God. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavily burdened, I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, Exodus 33, and I will give you rest. See the connection? God's presence is not just to give me an insurance policy that everything I do is going to work out, but his presence actually imparts peace every step of the way. A good man steps to order by the Lord, God's presence is with that person. His peace goes along with that person. That peace is priceless. You really cannot put a price on that. You cannot purchase that anywhere. And yet it's free. Why would people refuse that which won't cost them anything except a broken heart, contrite spirit, faith? And refuse this. The reason is this. The word of God is not held up as being error-free. The Word of God is not held up as really living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword that can actually impart life to me. The Word of God, every Word of God, as it says in Matthew 4, man does not live by the bread we eat only, 
but by every word that comes from God. So has, has God spoken over your life? And we think about it. Maybe God spoke to you about your marriage before you got married. And you knew this is God's will. All that assurance because you knew that I haven't deviated from... I was walking with God when I was single. And when the devil tried to bring me his alternatives, I had enough sense to say, Lord, I'm not in a rush for this. One thing I do not want to do is miss your will. And so we sought the Lord. And we prayed and said, Lord... You have a plan for me and my spouse. According to your blueprint. I don't want to miss that. So, show me your will. Some of us fasted and prayed. And then God confirmed that. All the peace that comes. The flip side of it is a superficial peace. Superficial joy. You have the celebration and everything. Everything people do at a wedding. But it's playing it by ear. It's taking every day as it comes. There's no concept of, I know that I know that I know I'm in God's perfect will. That no matter what happens, I'm in His perfect will. It's going to be okay. Hallelujah. That is confidence. That is having His presence. That is having His peace. Same thing with a job. Taking a job offer. Really seeking God. It may look like it's a perfect fit. In the eyes of man, in our own eyes. But God sees something way different. Because he has a plan. And unless I step back and say, Lord, I'm not in a rush for this. I want to know your will. And then you have that peace that even if the economy fails, even if the company has a a downsizing or upheaval happens there, you know that you're in God's perfect will. You know That God called me to be here. And until I'm done with his mission for me in this job, I'm not leaving. God is so good to give us that kind of leading and that kind of peace. In the course of a day, getting back to the beginning. In the course of a day, we can say, Lord, what things come and rob my peace? The words that we hear can rob our peace. If it's not God's word, it can start wearing away at faith and that security and that peace. And pretty soon, in a short time, we may feel like I just feel like I lost my faith. Or I'm confused again because we didn't guard the peace. We need to go to God's presence and say, God, I want you to guide me. Lord, What is your purpose for my life? Am I supposed to be this in a career? Or do this in my life? Or move here? You can move physically. But still carry your problems with you. But if God's presence moves you. His peace will guide you. And no problem will be able to floor you. Hallelujah. That's the supreme peace. The question is today, are you in God's perfect will? And I have to ask myself, just like you should, say, Lord, my relationships, that's a big one. My vocation, my 
goals in life, there are short-lived temporal goals that will seek to usurp and draw out the spiritual goals. End result will be, even if you meet the goals you wanted so badly to meet, you'll still be empty. And what do people do? They cover up that emptiness. You know how? To go and do the next thing. Or to go back. What do you get after all? Still, no certainty about the future. But if you're in God's will, God will give you peace. God will show you by revelation also what is the next step you have to take. Can you be led by God like that? Can you go to your parents and say, Mom, Dad, I feel like God wants me to do this. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe it's school, maybe it's moving. These are things that people do all the time. They establish relationships, they uh, acquire jobs, they study, they relocate. People have a thing where I think if I get out of this area, I'll have a better life over there. And even if it seems to be better, it's very short-lived because the problem still went with us. But if God's presence comes to you where you are, then you'll be led by His Spirit, and wherever He takes you, you will prosper. Hallelujah. That's a guarantee from God. So you may go, if you're a child, and say, this is what I feel like I want to do. How many people have heard this? Follow your own heart. Have you heard that before? Follow your own heart. What is the heart? The heart is the person's deepest desires and will. It's the person's deepest desires and will. And so Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If I treasure the things of this world more than the things of God... Guess where my heart is? After the things of the world. So everything God gives me, it's like giving it to the thief. Can you imagine that? You give your child money for school, and you find out a year later, every time you sent that money while the child was in college, he or she was just giving it to the drug dealer. Oh my goodness. What a shock for the parent. All that hard-earned money, working overtime and whatnot. I gave it to you because I wanted you to have a better future, and now I come to find out you are giving it to the thief. That's what Christians do. With all the breath that God has given us, all the resources, when we channel it to satisfying our desires, irrespective of God's will, we end up giving it away to the devil. But the opposite is what God wants to convey today. Say, Lord, my life is a gift from you. People talk about the child in the womb. This is a gift. This is a gift. Don't despise this gift. Don't destroy this gift. Hold on to this gift. But what about adults? Sometimes we, we think in a certain way that, you know, the child is a gift. And it's a great day when the child is formed in the womb. And look, the child is coming out and it has a brand new future. And I, think, I want to know what the child will look like and what the child is going to do in his life or her life. We forget that as adults, 
we ourselves are gifts. We've been given the gift of life. We need to say, Lord, I want to channel everything you've given me for your will. I want your presence to go with me. I need your peace, Lord. Lord, I want to fulfill your purposes. Moses had this in mind. With all the things he learned in Egypt, how to speak well, how to be a prince, how to manage everything. He was very skilled. Not only in terms of managing as a prince, but in terms of speaking. He was eloquent. He was powerful. But he became dumb over the course of four decades. How? He allowed God to strip away all his self-reliance till he became utterly teachable. And then God built him from the ground up to the point where he began to trust God and seek his presence more than anything else. That's why he could say this in Exodus 33. Going with the people of God, it was no longer a question of God, can I grab the wheel? Can I drive today? No, he trusted God enough. Lord, I need you to be at the wheel 24-7 because I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. Hallelujah. What a place to come to. The most brilliant scientists, some of the most wealthiest people in the world, some, not all, some, few, have suddenly come to the cross. Millions and billions of dollars, household names, and people who admire those people are utterly devastated. You know why? They think, oh no, they've got religion now. Everything is gone. What's gone, really? Everything that's false. That charisma, that appeal to the public, everything that fuels a person's lustful desires. In other words, anything and everything that's anti-God, which is death, becomes glamorous. And people who do that are followed by people who love that. But then that guy that, or that gal that people are following could be a star, all of a sudden comes to Jesus Christ and they realize I've been such a fool. I made millions and I had people desiring me. I was VIP everywhere. But actually I was nothing. He's everything. All of those devotees are shattered. They think, oh no. Now he's not going to dance for us anymore. He's not going to sing for us anymore. You know what? They said that about John the Baptist. Jesus said that. He said, the people there, they're piping. They're playing the instrument. And they're doing all kinds of things to elicit a response. The world will come and pressure you and say, perform for me. Because the spirit of the world is the devil. Perform for me. Make that money. Act this way. Do what we like. So long as you do that, we love you. But we have a higher calling. And that calling requires God's presence to be with us. I guarantee you, if you are struggling between two opinions, and in your mind the devil is playing a game every now and then, is it really worth getting this serious with God? Can't I juggle between God and the world? I mean, I like to pray, and I do believe in God. I believe Jesus. But 
somehow I feel like the fun is taken away from my life. Somehow I feel like my freedom is gone. And the folks that I really wanted to be with, the more closer I get to Jesus, the more they think I'm weird and they're stepping back. It's like I'm losing everything. Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world, everything in the world? So you have the world on one side. Everything in the world. Just like the Lord was tempted in the Judean wilderness, the kingdoms of the world. In a flash, Satan just showed, I don't know how many billions or trillions of dollars worth of treasures and jewelry and palaces. And He tried to draw Jesus to surrender to that lust desire. The Lord dismissed him with one word. He said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God only. Him only shall you serve. But Christians can have this struggle if they're not rooted in the Word. When you have that feeling, you need to know this. It's not native to you if you're a believer. If you're born again, sincerely born again, it's not coming from you. It's coming from below. The glamour that comes past your eyes, in your mind's eye, it's just like the devil showed the Lord Jesus. It's something that gets your attention. How does it feel? He starts like light. That's what the devil does. He starts with a feeling. How would it feel to be with this person? If I don't stop him right there and say, but this is not the will of God, get out in Jesus' name. Then the feeling will begin to take over. The daydreaming will begin. And you've wasted... Not just five minutes, maybe hours and days thinking about somebody you have no business being with. Same thing with a job or a career. If you have been seeking God and you want real success, and God is showing you this not from me, the devil will step up his game to show, but look how good it is. You have all these perks. You have all these people who will recognize your face when they put it up there in print. This is the draw. And Christians fall for this many times. We have to say, Lord, one thing I don't want to lose, my God. I'd rather be in a little hut somewhere or in the wilderness, Lord, like John the Baptist, so long as your presence is with me. Your presence is with me. Oh, like Moses, I'd rather be in the desert somewhere, in the back desert of Midian, even if nobody knows my name anymore. I was once rich and powerful. People feared me. You told me to leave. And you came with me over here. That's where I want to be. Hallelujah. That's where I want to be. I want to be where God is. And I want God to be where I am. His presence will go with you. Note the strategy of the devil. He will make you think. Whether it's immorality. He begins to work in the mind. And as he grips the imagination, the hands begin to move toward the fulfillment of that which is forbidden because it will kill your soul. But if I know that it starts with a feeling and a suggestion. And I'm able to understand that and stop it right there and say, this is not coming from me. He wants to convince me that it's coming from me. It's a very fierce battle sometimes. Because he has a lot of power, the devil. Nowhere near what God has. But then we have a free will. We have the right to stop Satan. When he begins 
But if we don't do it, pretty soon the mind gets, it's like drugs. You, you get into an, another state of mind and you can be at the ledge of a building and thinking you're going to fly because your mind has been altered. You've really, you're hallucinating, but you really think that you have wings and you can be Superman. And what happens? Tragedy. People know that very well about substances, physical substances. They don't know that about the spiritual realm. Just like a drug, the devil comes with a syringe and he says, I want to inject just a little thought about how it would feel if you would go here, go with that person and do that. Maybe if you get on a plane and go to San Francisco, you'll feel better because you heard things are looking up over there. Maybe if you get this item in your possession, whatever it is, illegal or illegal, you feel like some kind of happiness has come in, you know, some joy. Purchases, relationships, physical relocation, whatever it is, where God has the perfect will for you to really bless you, make you happy forever. That's God's design. It really is. He cares about us. He loves us. The devil has a counterfeit for everything God has. It's a one-to-one correspondence. Everything that God has for your life, he's got an alternative. And if we don't realize when that thought comes, it's not coming from you, it's coming from him, I need to guard against that, then he could take us to his side. And then, later on, we can wonder, but I went to church, I said the prayer, I, I really did feel God, why did I end up like this? I didn't know that he began with a suggestion, and I thought it was me. And when people try to tell me, don't do that, I thought, they don't like me and my opinion. Meanwhile, I've owned what he originated. What a blessing to know the difference. Moses got through all of that. Maybe it took 40 years for that. He was at a point where he said, Lord, I know that your presence is everything. Everything. Come to me, all you that are, that labor and are heavily burdened. I will give you rest. Same Jesus Christ, 1,500 years before, he spoke that in Matthew 11. In the wilderness, the same Jesus Christ, same Jesus Christ who spoke to the disciples and the people, spoke to Moses. He says, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. I have felt God's peace. Where before, years ago, I used to rush based upon the pros and cons. And you look at people who are in the know. Expert advice. But you know what I found out? Many times the expert advice, expert advice, those who are supposed to know, went contrary to God's counsel. And so, the question comes up now, am I really hearing from God? He's telling me to go against what the people are saying. If I have trained myself to wait on God and not rush and say, Lord, I don't want to make a mistake. I want your presence. God will guide me. And even though 
all of hell will say is a big mistake. You have assurance that the end will show. I want you to remember that phrase. No matter what crossroads you come to, remember this phrase. If you're able to note it down, I suggest you do this. Because I've heard it, our family's heard it from God. The end will show. In other words, the end result, that'll show which path you really were on. Somebody said, that's scary. Somebody else says, that's assuring, reassuring. Depends on where you are. If we're in the habit of making decisions and impulsively doing things or consulting flesh and blood people rather than God, and we try to navigate life like that, and we justify our position and our actions, it's a scary thing at the end because many of those decisions will be shown to be carnal, not spiritual. And the Bible says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The other side, those who have been listening to God, Lord, should I buy this thing? What's the harm in waiting? Lord, help me, Lord. Lord, should I go with this person? Should I do this, Lord? Please help me, Lord. God will guide you step by step. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. We're going to pray. Remember these verses in Matthew, Exodus, and Isaiah. Lord, you said perfect peace. You will give perfect peace. Oh, Jesus. Perfect peace. For the person whose mind stayed on you, fixed on you. Because he trusts in you. Oh, Father, I pray that the people of God in this house and those watching, Lord, will make a decision today. I'm not going anywhere without God's presence anymore. Hallelujah. I've got to have God's presence. And the way to get his presence is to wait on him until he leads me. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, for people to follow you faithfully, Lord, and to know that the end will show. The end result will be glory, everlasting joy, wisdom, all the riches of God. Father, thank you for taking good care of us even when we didn't listen to you, Lord. You had pity and mercy upon our souls. Thank you, Lord. How good you are, Father. We love you, Lord. You loved us way before we loved you. You loved us first. But now you're telling us to grow up. You're telling us that there is a specific path to walk every day. There is a, a way in which we can be guided by God if we just ask you, Lord. You said, ask and I'll give it to you. Father, I pray that every man, every woman, every child in this church, Lord, would begin to ask you, Lord, should I make this phone call? I know it's, it feels like I should do it, but... I don't trust me. I trust you more than I trust me. Father, show me what to do. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to walk on eggshells. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to think that, oh, I'm going to fall. But rather, you want us to know every time we say, Jesus, will you show me? Should I speak to this person today? 
Lord, would you give me the words to speak, even the casual conversation? May my speech be edifying. May build them up, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, help us not to forfeit this treasure. This great privilege we have as sons of God, daughters of God, that we can ask you because you're perfect and you will answer those who ask you. Help me not to say a word that is negative, that won't build people up. Help me not to be a person who will introduce things that will actually counter your promises. Oh, Jesus, we lean upon you, Lord. You said if your presence is with us, we'll have rest. Thank you that you're with us right now. You're giving us your word right now, Lord. And we're here to worship you, Lord. We're here to make a decision that I want to be guided by the Holy Spirit 24-7. Oh, Lord, it's not for only the elite or special group of people. It's the privilege of every child of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. They're the sons of God. The daughters of God. Father, I pray, even as this exhortation has come in a timely manner, those, Lord, who have been living life in a very generic way of coming to you when there are emergencies or major decisions because they don't want to have a major fall or loss, they will see the glory and the beauty of having your peace because of your presence calling on your name to guide their day. I pray, Lord, that even as you taught me, Lord, for a long time in my Christian life, it didn't occur to me that even the normal things I need to do at the start of the day or throughout the day, I don't have the wisdom to do it perfectly. But if I ask you, and I've seen your hand come through, even the normal things, Lord, would you guide my steps? I want to do the right thing at the right time. I've seen how you have blessed it tremendously. Oh, Jesus, I pray, may every brother, every sister, know you intimately to call on Jesus at the beginning of every day and say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, please direct my steps today so that I will have your presence with me, your peace with me and be fully satisfied at the end of the day that I did God's will. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Your presence will give us rest. Praise and thank you, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.